Welcome to Parenting Unchained, the radio show that helps parents find the joy and success God intended in the difficult work of parenting. Every week, we'll bring you sound advice that passes a three-part test. First, it must be biblical, built on the solid foundation of God's Word. Second, it must be practical. Parents must be able to put the advice to work right away. Third, it must produce long-term effect and benefit our children into their adult years. Here's our host, author, and trainer for the National Center for Biblical Parenting, Dr. Jim Dempsey. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Jim Dempsey, a pastor to families and a presenter for the National Center for Biblical Parenting. I've written a book that reflects my deep desire and my calling to help parents avoid the damaging deceptions that Satan has for Christian parents. I feel like I fell for some of those deceptions as I raised my kids. Even though I was a dedicated Christian, I was very involved in my church and fairly knowledgeable about managing children's behavior. In fact, I was an expert in getting kids to obey, and I even taught seminars on that topic for child care workers. This expertise in working with children made me a little arrogant as a parent, frankly, and that's a terrible thing to be if you're a Christian. I came to see how getting kids to obey was not the result that was most important, really. Man looks at the outward behavior, but God looks at the heart, as God himself said in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Humans naturally tend to look at and value outward behavior, but God cares most about having a right heart. That's my mission now, to help you parent in ways that shape your child's hearts. The good news is that if your child's heart is shaped in honor and in high character, his or her behavior will follow in that direction. That's a great promise. It's a great fact that God assures us of. Today on Parenting Unchained, I want to remind parents of their power to shape their children's lives in both positive and negative ways. I'm not talking about some great activity or parenting trick that takes years of training. I'm talking about the words you use in everyday life with your children, the way you speak to your kids in daily life. You probably know that the way you speak to your kids is important, but it's good to be reminded because we do so much talking that we don't always pay attention to exactly what we say. It just kind of comes out. The Bible tells us, though, to guard our tongues, our lips, and our mouths. It also tells us in Deuteronomy 6 to be diligent in talking about spiritual matters with our kids. So we've done shows on the fact that you just can't be silent. You can't let this go unsaid. You've got to take the lead in speaking diligently. That means in a planned, consistent, and constant way with your kids about spiritual truth. But even when we're not talking about spiritual things with our kids, we are training and influencing them by our words. The Bible has lots to say about our words and the great influence they can have, both bad and good. Let's look at a number of Bible verses on language, on the way we speak. Psalm 12:3 says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Well, that tells us that flattering and boasting are not proper uh, uses of our tongue. Uh, it's not a good thing. Now, when you hear the word flattering, sometimes that sounds okay, but it, impl- it implies in biblical terms when a person is trying to manipulate someone by saying flattering things. And of course, that's really deception instead of coming out and saying what you really want. Psalm 39.1 says, I will, or I said, this is God speaking, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I think that was David speaking, saying that he's, he's going to be careful in what he says because when there are 
evil people around you, they'll twist your words. They'll take your words and use them against you. So be careful what you say. That uh, use of a muzzle means that you won't speak very much. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Now that compares lying in, as, a, as a use of our words to faithful acting, or in this case, the opposite of being faithful in our actions. Proverbs 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Um, it's foolish for, for us to just speak endlessly, endlessly if we're not wise. So we need to be wise in our speech. Proverbs 15.4 is particularly uh, pointed toward parents. It says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. If we are perverse in our speech, we can break the spirits of our children. But a gentle tongue is, is basically a tree of life. It, it produces fruit. The Bible uses that image very often about righteousness. Proverbs 6.16, one of the clearest uh, statements about what God hates it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Of those seven things, a lying tongue, a false witness, and one who sows discord among brothers, all speak to the way we talk with each other and the way we use our tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. In other words, whatever you produce with your tongue, you're going to live by that. You'll eat the, the fruit of what you say. Ephesians 4.29, moving to the New Testament, is a great verse for helping children to understand how they should speak to each other, but it tells us how we should speak as well. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to hear. It tells us the Bible and God expects us to use words that build others up, that share grace, that don't share condemnation. Uh, and so we don't want to have corrupting talk that comes out of our mouth. A coarse jesting, uh, sometimes it says in, in the New Testament. We're not to use our mouths, our words, uh, for coarseness, but to provide grace. That sets a pretty high standard for us as Christians. James 3, 5 reminds us of the power of the tongue. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, one word or one set of words spoken uh, in, uh, in anger can sometimes cause great rumblings, great uh, consequences. James 3.6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow, our tongue uh, has great um, power both to do good and to do evil. James 3.8 says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Oh, man, we need to keep that in mind. That tells us, first of all, that we can't really tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. That's the quote there from James. It means for us as Christians that only the Holy Spirit living in us can master our tongues for us. 
Uh, so we need to rely on spiritual truth, on spiritual resources to get a, a rein on our tongue. The last word on words comes from our, last, <laughs> from our Lord Jesus. He said in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ooh, that should uh, make us all shudder a little bit. Jesus says confidently, and of course he, he always speaks confidently because he's the, uh, the God of the world. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. So we've got to be careful with what we say. In review, here's what we've learned. Our words are powerful. They have the power to improve life or to cause death. God is paying attention to our words, and he will hold us accountable for all of them. We are told to build up others with our words, not tear them down. God says that he hates lying words and that the tongue cannot be tamed by human means. Of course, that means we need to rely on the Holy Spirit and pray often that uh, God would help us hold our tongues when we need to. He also tells us that it's better to speak very little, to put a muzzle on our mouths effectively, than to speak foolishly. Uh, sheer volume of words is not something to be proud of. These are truths that we can and should teach to our children because they come straight from God in his word. As usual now, we've laid a biblical foundation for our training related to the use of words. But now let's look at some practical aspects of, of language as you work with your children. What we say to our kids really does matter. When your child was born, you related to him or her with hugs and kisses and food and actions like changing diapers and giving baths. Sure, you talked to her while you did these things, but she didn't understand your words at first. She understood only your actions and she understood them pretty clearly, probably, and she grew to trust that this world is a nice place to live by the way that you handled things with your child. As your child became verbal, words took more and more prominence in your child's life as a way of relating and understanding about self and the world. Now, your words are a primary tool you use to train, to guide, and to prepare your child for life without you. You have power in your words more than you know. Your words have a a way of becoming internalized in a child's mind so that the things she hears you say or your your son hears you say to them, that becomes the things they say to themselves. Now, that's really powerful, and it's also really scary. I call that kind of a script that we that we speak to ourselves, that internal speech that we all have as we talk to ourselves. A friend of mine has written a book called Escape the Lie. In it, uh, Walker Moore is the author. He relates his constant attempts to win his dad's approval, which never came, by the way. Once, he, he tells the story that he spent hours cleaning his dad's tools, trying to win his dad's approval, and his only reply, the, the dad replied, hey, you missed a spot. That was the only uh, response he got. And you can imagine how crushing that is to a child who desperately wants his father's approval. The lie then that he began to hear in his head and heard even as an adult was that he'd never amount to anything, that he was worthless, that he could never do anything right. And it uh, took many years and an encounter with uh, the God that, that saves us to change Walker's inner voice. And I don't want my kids to go through that ordeal. I'd like for them to hear instead a voice that says, I believe in you. You can do anything your heart desires if you work hard and honor God first. That's what I want my kids to have as a script in their mind coming from me. Remember that your words can build your child up or tear her down. You may not think that you have that kind of power because maybe you heard negative voices yourself. 
and you have some of those negative scripts uh, running through your mind. If that describes your life, then I suggest you study God's word to learn what he says about you. Believe him and not those negative comments of anyone, including your parents. Only God's word lasts into eternity. Perhaps you've heard uh, demeaning statements from your own parents growing up, but you don't have to continue that tradition. You don't have to pass that tradition on. Here's four simple steps that you can take to eliminate some common negative speech patterns. Number one, start listening to yourself for expressions that you say to your children, especially those that form a consistent pattern. Just listen for patterns in your speech. And I would suggest that you give your mate permission, and if you don't have a mate, give others uh, that you trust, other adults, permission to listen to you, and then uh, permission to share with you what they hear. Let them know that you're trying to be more aware of negative speech, of sarcasm or manipulation as you, as you speak, things that aren't honoring or, or uh, like the Bible says, or perhaps corrupting speech. Number two, think about what your words sound like to your child. Put yourself in their position, and then imagine the worst. In this exercise, you need to ask, how could that be heard negatively? Words that would be no big deal if you said them to an adult might be crushing to your child, especially coming from a parent whom a child idolizes. Your kids do look up to you, and you're big in their eyes, both literally and figuratively. I have a very clear memory of a time that I said to my oldest child, and I was mostly joking, she was around six years old, you're a pain in the neck. And immediately, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I knew they were wrong. And she was hurt deeply by that. And she reminded me, she, she told me that. I could see in her voice and her actions that I had really crushed her spirit. I had to quickly apologize and try to undo that message. The trouble is, it's hard to undo something when, you, when it escapes from your mouth. She reminded me of that many times over for the next several years. You know, this was an important and wrong statement that I made. And she knew that I had apologized. She, she accepted that. And she knew intellectually that I didn't really mean it. But she still had to remind herself and me that that was not a true statement. So those can be very powerful and they last a long time. Now, number three, when you identify some phrases that sound negative, write down alternatives that are more positive. For example, if you routinely, routinely say things like, do you have to whine all the time? You might change that too. Could you speak to me in a more honoring tone of voice? And but here's here's what you want to be aware of is it, 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 we don't want to just uh, name the negative action. We want to uh, name the positive alternative. In this case, whining is the negative thing. We don't want our kids to whine. What we do want them to do is speak in an honoring tone, uh, in a tone that has more factual information in it, but isn't whining. So pay attention to phrases that include you always or you never. These are very damaging and accusing words, and they're really, they're not true. No one is that consistent. They're, even your kids don't always do a certain things or, or never do certain things. We say that to our spouses sometimes and get ourselves in trouble. Uh, these words tend to become self-fulfilling prophecies and inner scripts that kids repeat to themselves. So you need to change this type of you message, you do this or you did this, like this, you never clean your room, that may seem true to you, uh, but that's accusatory. Change that to a message, an I message that says, I need you to clean your room. And, and that's a very simple statement. It's, it expresses a truth. It's something from your perspective. Uh, it doesn't accuse them of anything. It just tells them what you expect. Number four, 
place reminders around your house, like a note on your bathroom mirror or a refrigerator. This, this, it's a habit sometimes, the way we speak to our kids, and we need to break that habit. So we need help in doing that. My wife once decided that she had been using sarcasm with our daughters. Now, as young adults, she and I had both used sarcasm as part of our humor. You know, we, we enjoyed that humor, uh, but we came to realize that sarcasm really has an undercutting effect. And most of the time, we had used it gently, but it still can be negative. And small people, your kids, don't understand sarcasm because they take words literally. And so sarcasm really just has the cutting part and not the funny part to our kids. So uh, my wife decided that she would get a jar and label it and put a label on it, my sarcasm reminder fund. And whenever she caught herself using sarcasm, she put a quarter in the jar. Then she invited the kids to remind her if they heard sarcasm so that they would begin to pick out, you know, what was wrong speech, even when she said it and, and or they said it. And then she asked them to remind her. And so when they did, she dutifully added quarters. Now, it took a month or so to retrain her tongue, but it worked. And then at the end of the month, mom and daughters got to enjoy an ice cream cone with the proceeds. So those are four things that you can do to, to stop having negative speech with your kids. Now let's talk about uh, some positive things that you can do. How are we going to build our children up with our words? First, we, we, I want to give you a caution here. Um, we can try too hard in this area sometimes and actually move over into an area that I call poison praise that actually hurts our kids. Uh, we can praise too much or for, for the wrong reasons. And parents who do this think they're helping, but in fact, uh, their motive may be right, but their outcome is wrong. What that does to a child is remove internal motivation from them sometimes. It convinces them of certain things that may or may not be true. It's like flattery in the Bible, and that flattery is not uh, helpful to our children or to any, anyone else. So how do we do this encouragement thing properly? How do we praise a child in a way that doesn't create an entitled or an arrogant person? Here's six suggestions for speaking positively that will build up a child without the negative side effects of poison praise. Number one, say, I love you and mean it. Um, it's just something that uh, we need to be in the habit of saying to our children. When you speak words of love and back it up with tender actions, your child gains a strong foundation of self-confidence. That's number one. Number two, discipline calmly. Now, this is some of the hardest things for, for us to do as parents because usually our kids uh, push us to the edge and then we lose our, our tempers. When kids disobey, parents struggle to maintain their calm. Kids often disobey us at the worst possible time, like when we simply must be somewhere soon and we don't have the time to deal with their disobedience. Parents get angry when they feel boxed in. But we must resist the urge to shout or use uh, negative words. We can be firm but gentle like this. You must stop what you're doing right now. That's a firm statement. Uh, now, of course, you need to back that up with, uh, with consequences some of the time. If a child continues to disobey, and let's say you do have to go and you can't really uh, provide a consequence now, you can state your intention to give a consequence later after you get back home. Then be sure to follow through with that consequence. It would sound like this. You are disobeying, and we have to go now. When we get back, I'm going to give you a consequence so that you know this is not a behavior I'll tolerate. Now, you've said, and they know now there's a consequence coming, and that ought to help straighten them up. But if it doesn't, your consequence should, should follow as soon as you have an opportunity to uh, enact it. Uh, 
By having a plan, that's the key for us as parents, we can deal with disobedience. We have a much better chance then to remain calm during our discipline time. So having a plan, sticking to that plan, gives you confidence and and firmness and allows you to avoid uh, blowing up and, and using your words unwisely. Number three, give encouragement for the internal qualities that legitimately are, are observed in your children. Qualities like perseverance or awareness of others' needs or when they have an act of kindness or when they're diligent or thorough or when they think ahead and, and you can see that in their behavior. This requires, however, that you pay attention to, and, and look for opportunities to do this. So you have to be watching your child for the opportunity to reward them, to say encouraging things for that. Now, it's, I've mentioned that sometimes praise is negative. Uh, the reason it's okay to praise these qualities but not to praise outer qualities, meaning uh, accomplishments or behavior, uh, those are the kinds of things that often get praised, is that a child is less aware of their internal motivations, the internal qualities that are prompting their behavior. We can point those out and make your child aware of inner motivations, and that strengthens those inner motivations. It's these inner motivations which will help a child do the right thing without being told as time goes on. Number four, we need to give praise for working hard at a task, in other words, for effort, not for the quality of the product. Giving praise for the quality of the product has an unintended effect of robbing the child of internal motivation. Praising for effort reinforces what the child has already decided to do keeping the motivation internal rather than shifting it over to to you, an outside motivator. You might say something like, I see you working hard on that art project. Tell me about it. That encourages the child. It it recognizes their hard work, and that's what you're reinforcing there with those words. You would do that rather than saying, that picture is so beautiful, or you're the best artist ever, or you're so good at that. Uh, That puts a burden on children that really doesn't help them. It kind of steals their motivation as an internal motivator. Number five, we need to be honest about our feelings. I don't mean that you should blast your children with anger and letting your feelings just have free reign, as this is not constructive. What I do mean, though, is sharing how you feel when their behavior dishonors you. Imagine the next time your child rolls her eyes at you. You might say, when you roll your eyes like that, it tells me you don't think I'm important, and that makes me sad. I'm going to give you that instruction again, and I want to see if you can give me a more honoring response. You're substituting again this negative behavior. You're telling your child that rolling their eyes is not acceptable. And you want to point that out and say that's not honoring. Now let's try it again and give me the right response. You need to remember that your sadness here is is your motivation, and it comes from knowing that a child who dishonors others will not succeed in life. If your child uh, continues to go through life dishonoring those in authority, that will not be a good thing for them. You're not responding out of a a personal irritation or the slight that this seems to be to you. You're sad because you know that that child is not doing something that will benefit them in the future. Number six, you need to listen to your kids even as you talk to them. Good communication is a two-way street, and parents can model listening by giving full attention to the child when he or she is talking. Parents get so set on getting errands done, errands, and their schedule fulfilled that they sometimes forget to take time to listen. It's, it's certainly human nature. We give a lot of instructions as parents, which are certainly necessary, but in our busyness, we can forget the relationship needs of our kids, and communication is very much the foundation of relationship. Today we've talked about the use of our words to build our kids up and avoiding things that would tear them down. 
God will hold us accountable, and your kids will be held accountable as well. As well, So they need to learn the, the power of words, and you're showing them as the first teacher about how powerful words are. God made us in his image, and since God communicates with us, he's given us this sacred gift of language, unlike any of the other creatures that he created. Words are important, and God is a God of, of words. He put his, his words to us down in the Bible, the most important book that we have to learn about God. So take some time today to think about your own communication with your spouse and with your kids. I would advise you to pray with the psalmist, like he said in Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We do need to ask God to make our meditations, our mouths, the words that we say, acceptable in his sight. He's the best one to tell us if our words are, are helpful or if they're destructive. So parents, we uh, need to go to him for wisdom and uh, pray for that kind of wisdom in using our words wisely. I want to thank you for joining me today on Parenting Unchained. You can reach me via email at jimd at biblicalparenting.org. I'd be honored to bring one of the great seminars available from the National Center for Biblical Parenting to your church. If you believe in the ministry of Parenting Unchained here, you would do me a great service and really honor me with your financial support. To do that, you can give an uh, amount of any size to this ministry, and if you do that, I'd be glad to send you my book, Parenting Unchained, Overcoming the Ten Deceptions that Shackle Christian Parents. You can donate by going to the website of the National Center for Biblical Parenting. That's biblicalparenting.org. And be sure to put in the comment section as you donate that you're donating for Parenting Unchained, the radio ministry. And then, like I said, I'd be glad to send you one of my books. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on Parenting Unchained. To learn more about Dr. Dempsey's ministry or to bring his powerful parenting seminars to your church or school, check out his website at d6culture.com. Listen next week at this same time and find new freedom for your parenting on Parenting Unchained.